0: What happens when we die? Is the end really the end? What if we think it is the end, but it is not the end? Is there life after death? And if so, how should we live before we die? Well, To find out, make sure you watch until the end. Hi, this is Hanson from Archipas Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom, that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. When I was growing up, watching a movie was rather straightforward. When the movie ended, it ended. Everyone got up from their seats and left the cinema. But these days, thanks to the Marvel series, you know that when the movie ends, it's not quite the end. No one leaves. Because we're all waiting for the post credit scene that serves as a trailer to the next film or upcoming television series. What about life? Does it end when it ends? If so, we can then live as Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. However, if the end is not the end, if there is a resurrection of the dead, then how we live matters, for it prepares us for what's to come. Thankfully, God has also provided trailers in His Word of what's to come if we would stay on and hang on until the end. We're in the section of Matthew where the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees take turns to test Jesus with tough and tricky questions in hope of tripping and trapping him. Our text today is Matthew chapter 22, verses 23-33, to 33, where the Sadducees ask Jesus about the resurrection. Now, you might be wondering, why were the Sadducees called the Sadducees? Well, they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see? Get it? (laughs) I know it's an old joke. Well to be fair, while we are very familiar with the resurrection in the New Testament, there aren't as many references in the Old Testament. And so to better understand the context, we will study the passage first, and then we will move to implications drawing from New Testament passages about the resurrection so we know how to live and prepare rightly. Let's read the text together. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. By concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at His teaching. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, we thank You for the word that You have left to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you bring understanding so that we can know what Jesus wants to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Let's begin by studying the passage. Let's look at the Sadducees first. The name of the Sadducees and even their origin is not very, very clear. It's a little bit unknown, something that they derived this name from the priest Zadok, which means righteousness. Well, they are a group of political liberals and religious conservatives, a small aristocratic and priestly sect that had already made peace with the Roman government. Some compromise. Well, they had considerable wealth and great political power. But they didn't last very long. After 70 AD, they sort of disappeared from history. The Sadducees, in terms of doctrine, accepted only the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, usually referred to as the Torah or the law. To them, the other books did not carry the same authority as these first five books. The Sadducees also did not hold to oral law or other tradition or interpretation as did the Pharisees. Now, when it comes to resurrection, Matthew chapter 22, 23 tells us, they say there is no resurrection. And when they come to Jesus, this was the issue they were trying to levy at Jesus. No resurrection. Why? Well, because the first five books do not mention resurrection directly. Are there Old Testament references and mentions? Well, some, but not so clear. Now, the clearest would be Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Or another one, Isaiah 26 verse 19. Your dead shall live. Rather clear, if you ask me. Or Psalm 16 verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now to us, it may be rather distinct and clear, but as you can see, the Sadducees do not consider these books as of equal authority with the first five, and so no go. So to them, there's no afterlife. The soul would perish at death. It was recorded by Josephus in Antiquities. But the doctrine of the Sadducees is this, that souls die with the bodies. In Acts chapter 23, verse 8, Luke records the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit. Now angels were clearly mentioned in the Torah, and so the meaning of this one phrase would be that the Sadducees did not believe that the dead then became angels or spirits at the point of death. And so this question actually was a direct attack against Jesus. At the raising of Lazarus, Jesus had declared himself as the resurrection and the life. Jesus also proclaimed that those who believed in him would likewise be resurrected. And so if the Sadducees can stump Jesus and convince everyone that resurrection was an absurd idea, that there is no resurrection, it would remove Jesus' authority, reveal Jesus as a hoax, and discredit Jesus once and for all. And this is what they attempted to do by giving Jesus a very difficult situation, and then a question which cannot be answered, or at least they thought it would not be answered by Jesus. And so they begin. In Matthew chapter 22 verse 24, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Teacher. Yeah, right. Can you see? Flattery again, just to catch Jesus of God. The Sadducees quote Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6 loosely. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go in to her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of her husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel." This is referred to as the Leveret marriage. The word levirate comes from the Latin word laver, which means a husband's brother. It has nothing to do with the tribe of Levi, just in case you were wondering. The purpose of this custom was to preserve a man's name should he die without a male heir. In Israel, family inheritance was a major thing. As such, a male heir was extremely important. Now, if a man refused to raise up a family for his dead brother, that would be considered also disgrace. A good example in the Old Testament would be Boaz and Ruth, their story. And this leverage marriage was also there to protect and also to provide for the widow in time to come. And so, hypothetically speaking, the Sadducees go on in verse 25. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Seven husbands, think about it, all died. (laughs) The first thing that the audience will be thinking of would be, wow, this woman is of ill fortune, isn't it? Any man that she goes with, they die. Well, the Sadducees were really asking, so at the resurrection, how? Whose wife would she be? Would she be married still to all the seven men? Now, this is ridiculous, right? Which means resurrection is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all. Well, Jesus in Matthew 22 verse 29 answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God." Jesus points out directly and clearly and tells them immediately, you are wrong. You are wrong on two counts. Firstly, you don't know your Bible. Next, you don't know your God. And He goes on. He addresses the power of God first. You don't know the power of God. You don't even know the God that you worship. And there are at least three things that we can see here about God's power through this idea of resurrection. First, God has the power to raise the dead. It was a traditional Jewish view that God expresses His power most visibly in the resurrection of the dead. In the 18 benedictions, or the Amida, they declare, yes, you are faithful to revive the dead. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who revives the dead. In the Old Testament, this was clearly demonstrated through the prophets, Elijah, Elisha. In the Gospels, Jesus raised the dead because Jesus is God. In the book of Acts, the apostles raised the dead, demonstrating again the power of God working through His people. Now, all these were really a foreshadow of the resurrection to come. When Jesus Himself was resurrected, he became the first fruits of resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. This also becomes the hope for all who are in Christ. Jesus goes on in verse 30, saying that in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. And so the second point about God's power God has the power to glorify our bodies. Not just raise us from the dead, but also to transform and glorify our bodies. We will become like angels, not become angels. That's unbiblical. I'm sorry, you're not going to get wings and you're not going to float around like the little angels. Well, the angels were eternal. They are eternal beings. The angels do not marry. They don't have sexual intercourse, nor do they procreate. In the resurrection, we will become like the angels. We will have glorified bodies, incorruptible and immortal. We are told that in an instant, we shall be changed. That's the power of God to be able to do that. There will be no more aging, praise the Lord. There will be no more death, hallelujah. And there will be no more marriage, nor sexual union, because there is no more need for procreation. There's no more need to perpetuate the family line. If you see it from another angle, God's family will be totally and perfectly complete. We will all be eternal and we will live with the Lord. Thirdly, in and through the resurrection, we see that God has the power to perfect all relationships. The capacity to love everyone equally and perfectly, no jealousy nor exclusivity. There will be the perfection of satisfaction of all interpersonal relationships, yes, and without the need for marriage or for sex. I know it's hard to imagine this, but look at this as the fulfillment of complete and perfect oneness with God and with one another. The power of God to raise the dead, to glorify our bodies, and to perfect all relationships. But here's an important side note. Resurrection and eternity apply to both the righteous and the wicked, to the believer as well as the non-believer. The question is, what kind of eternity? hold that thought for a while. So here we see the power of God demonstrated through the resurrection. However, all these would mean nothing to the Sadducees if not supported by Scripture. Show me the chapter and the verse, they would say, and especially from the law of Moses. Jesus goes on to address the second wrong point about the Sadducees. You don't know your Scriptures. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Have you not read? This is Jesus' favorite phrase when challenging leaders. You call yourselves teachers and leaders and preachers? Did you fall asleep during Bible class? Were you not paying attention? And instead of saying, what was written? Did you not read what was written? He says, what was spoken to you by God? Are you sure you're hearing correctly? Did you not hear God? Or did you not see? And he proceeds to quote from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Now, Exodus is the law, the Torah, the first five books. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, by that time of Moses receiving this word from the Lord at the burning bush, By that time, all these patriarchs have all died. And so Jesus was saying, and he affirms, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. God would not claim to be the God of someone who no longer existed. In other words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all still alive. Their souls did not simply vanish upon death. They were in fact waiting for God to fulfill His promises to them, not just corporately through their descendants, but personally to all of them. And you can't wait for that unless you are still alive. Now, Jesus wasn't really speaking anything new. His teaching was entirely consistent with contemporary Jewish thought of His day. The patriarchs are not dead, according to Jewish understanding, and they record it also in the book of Maccabees. 4 Maccabees chapter 7, verse 19, they believe that the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob do not die to God, but live to God. In also 16, verse 25, they understand that these are all still alive. Even the later rabbis, they would say that the righteous are called living even in their death, meaning that they were dead to their generation, but they remain righteous and they live on as the righteous. The rabbis also read the term living God as God of the living, and as surely as God is alive, and those who die shall also live, and they will be resurrected to inherit the fullness of the promise of eternal life. Just one verse, just one line, one statement, one simple answer from the Torah, from the law. And Jesus stumps his questioners. Matthew 22, 33, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Whoa, their minds were blown. The crowds were literally knocked out. That's what the word astonished means. That they were struck down by Jesus' reply. The Sadducees were shut up because in the next verse in 34, we were told that they were silenced. They must have been thinking to themselves that day, what if Jesus is truly God and Messiah? What if the resurrection were true? Would they believe then How will they live in light of this Resurrection? How will they be judged if life does not end when it ends? Now that we have studied the passage, we will look at how this teaching applies to us. Now, you may be thinking, oh these silly Sadducees, they're not like me. I believe in the Resurrection. Well, it's good that you do, but careful, we've got to look at the implications. Because believing in the Resurrection has implications for us as believers of Jesus Christ. Allow me to share four with you. Number one, if I believe in the resurrection, then I believe the scriptures, not just parts of it, but entirely. Paul tells us that Jesus was resurrected according to the scriptures. This means that everything that God says is true. Every word is a yes and amen. He will fulfill His every promise. I can stand upon His every word. Now The question is, do I believe it or not? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Why do I believe in the resurrection and still doubt everything else in His Word? Now that's inconsistent. That's misalignment. If I say I believe in the resurrection, then I can believe the Scriptures and I will live my life according to everything and every word that God says. Number two, if I believe in the resurrection, then I believe in the power of God, that God is able. Look at Ephesians one to 19-20. Paul prays that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which we worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Our God is able, more than able, to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or imagine according to the power that works in me. This power is the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and that has seated Him in the heavenly places. If I believe in the resurrection, then I believe in the exceeding greatness of the same power. Nothing is impossible for God. He is powerful. But the question is, do I believe it? Why do I believe in the resurrection and still doubt God's power? That's inconsistent. That's misalignment. If I believe in the resurrection, I believe that God is able. God is powerful. Number three. If I believe in the resurrection, then I will live my life in light of this resurrection with kingdom purpose. If there's no resurrection, then we have no hope, because when this life ends, then everything ends. Now, if that's the case, then we have nothing to live for. We only live for ourselves, and we make ourselves happy right now. Paul says that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But if I believe in the resurrection, then there's great hope and great purpose for me. If I believe in the resurrection, then I'll prepare for the fullness of the kingdom. I have kingdom assignments to fulfill for the king and his everlasting kingdom that knows no end. And what I do now in this life, I'm laying up heavenly treasures for the life that is to come. The question is, do I believe it? Why do I say I believe in the resurrection and then still live life without purpose? That's inconsistent. That's misalignment. If I believe in the resurrection, I will live my life with kingdom purpose. Number four, if I believe in the resurrection, I can look to the rewards when I spend eternity with Jesus. Look at what Revelation 20 verse 12 says, and I saw the dead small and great, standing before God, books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. If I believe in the resurrection, then I also believe that I will one day stand before Jesus to give account. And if I say that I believe in Jesus, then I will live my life entirely for him, for I'm no longer my own. I belong to See, salvation is free, but rewards are earned. How I live for Jesus today will determine the price, the rewards that I will receive when I stand before Him. If I believe in the resurrection, I'll be obedient to the Lord. I'll be faithful to fulfill the kingdom assignments that Jesus assigns to me. The question is, do I believe it? Why do I believe in the resurrection and then not press towards the goal of the prize in Christ Jesus? That's inconsistent. That's misalignment. If I believe in the resurrection, I'll do my best and I will go for gold. These implications are important implications for believers to consider, not later, not at the end, but now. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until the end. But here's another important note that connects with what I shared earlier. If you are not yet a believer of Jesus Christ, I have news for you. Resurrection and eternity apply to you too. When life ends, it will not be the end. Yes, you will also be resurrected to stand before Jesus. You will be judged according to everything you have done and said in this life and without the blood of Jesus, without faith in Jesus Christ, you won't stand a chance before a holy and a righteous God. Eternity will not be good news for you. For scriptures warn of eternal damnation and of torment for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. So don't wait until the end. Don't wait until it's too late. Now is the time to believe in Jesus. Congratulations, you made it to the end. Thanks for staying on until the end. The Sadducees were leaders of their day, yet they knew neither the scriptures nor the power of God. But truth is, they had a certain perspective of scriptures and of God. And both were inadequate, both were wrong, and they were mistaken. When Jesus said that they were mistaken, the word he used can also be translated deceived, to be led astray. In the parallel account in Mark, Jesus emphasizes, you are therefore greatly mistaken or greatly deceived. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be mistaken. Don't be deceived. Know your scriptures. Know your God. And if you believe in the resurrection, then live accordingly and rightly. If you're not yet a Christian, don't be mistaken and don't be deceived either. Know Jesus, believe in Jesus, and be ready and be prepared for the resurrection. The end. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You show us so clearly through Your Word. Lord, that the end of life is not really the end, but because we have hope in You that You are an eternal God, And in Christ Jesus, we can have eternal life. Lord, will you show us what it means to live these implications correctly so that we we can be ready for all that you have for us. And so I pray for everyone listening in, whether a believer or not yet a believer, that we will respond rightly, that we will find only true eternal life by knowing Jesus and by knowing you, and that we will respond correctly by believing and by entering into all that you have for us. We thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.architusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.